Hi, we are the University of New Mexico IM Chiefs. Welcome to Lamar. Nothing to do with your medication list. And everything to do with the morning after afternoon report. Where we talk about the clinical pearls in afternoon report format. Welcome, welcome back, back to, to Studio 5 ACC. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Mar, the morning after afternoon report. Uh, my name is Reed. I'm one of the chiefs here. To my left, we have Lloyd Petty. Across from me, Sarah Sharkey. And to the right, Chiwei Chang. All right, so Sharkey, what case do we have today? Today we have a case titled Happy Lie, Blurry Eye. So our case presentation, we have a 42-year-old African-American patient presenting with a five-month history of worsening vision problems and sparkling lights in their left eye. No pain or discharge in their eyes. They can't read on their cell phone anymore. They were recently seen by an optometrist and subsequently an ophthalmologist. Prednisolone eye drops were prescribed with some improvement of symptoms. At this time, they were also told they had retinopathy. Regarding the past medical history, it's significant for asthma and hypertension. Their father had an MI at age 73. Their mother had osteoporosis and rheumatoid arthritis. And a maternal aunt and cousins had lupus. Social history. Patient was a never smoker, occasionally drank alcohol, and chewed edible THC, but no other illicit substances. They live in Albuquerque with two children and are a single parent. They work as a hairstylist at Style America. Medications taken are albuterol, ergocalciferol, lisinopril once a day, metronidazole three times a day, and prednisolone eye drops. On physical exam, patient's vital signs are normal. Pupils are equal, round, reactive to light at four millimeters with intact extraocular eye movements. Visual fields are intact. You don't have an ophthalmoscope available, but the rest of their exam is normal. Hey, Sharky, you said that the patient had retinopathy. Any chance that the patient might have uh, diabetes? Not that they're aware of, but definitely possible. Hey, Sharky, how long ago did the patient start the prednisolone eye drops? Approximately two weeks ago. Uh, Sharky, does the patient wear a monocle or are they a pirate? No, those were not a style about 100 years ago. Sharky, does the patient have any pain in the eye? No, they do not. All right, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the labs and uh, imaging that you found in the case? Sure thing. Patient's complete blood count and basic metabolic panel were both normal. No imaging was done. Ophthalmology was consulted and found an optic disc granuloma. This is highly suspicious for syphilis. So treponemal antibody was ordered, which was positive, and an RPR, which came back at 1 to 128. Based on ophthalmology findings, positive antibody, and elevated RPR, the patient was diagnosed with ocular syphilis. ID was consulted and recommended an LP, including CSF gram stain, culture, and PCR, which were all negative. Wow, that's quite interesting, Sharky. So this patient was actually diagnosed with ocular syphilis. I wonder, Lloyd, who do we screen for syphilis in a clinic? Well, the United States Pre Preventative Task Force recommends screening non-pregnant adolescents and adults at high risk of infection. This includes people who are commercial sex workers, uh, people who have a HIV infection, multiple sex partners, or previous history of syphilis. 
Um, okay. And you know, I, I always remember when I was like studying as a med student, like I'd always find it hard to remember the difference between primary syphilis and secondary syphilis. Um, I was wondering, do any of you guys know what primary syphilis uh, is characterized by? I sure do, Lloyd. Uh, so primary syphilis usually has a painless genital ulcer, also called a chancre, with a raised regular border that demonstrates firm induration on palpation. There may be several several chancres present, and they can occur in the oral cavity. Additionally, you might find regional lymphadenopathy. The diagnosis is not made via the RPR or BRDL. Uh, primary syphilis diagnosis is made based on dark field examination of, uh, of scrapings from the subsuspect lesion. Serologic testing can be negative in early primary infection. Remember, even in the absence of treatment, lesions heal spontaneously in three to six weeks. Okay, and uh, so how's that different from uh, secondary syphilis? In secondary syphilis, the most common manifestation is a rash. This can come in very different morphologies. It can be on the palms, soles, intertriginous areas with condylomalata, oral cavity, with mucus patches, and then you can just have systemic symptoms and generalized lymphadenopathy. Additionally, in secondary syphilis, you can have uveitis and neurosyphilis. Wait, wait, Sharky. So what is this condyloma latte that you said? Is this like something that you get at Starbucks? No, not quite. It's a plaque-like lesion um, that's pretty different from the, a regular flat rash. Okay, got it. Okay, and does this rash... Does it need to be treated for it to resolve, or does it just go away on its own? Great question. The rash can resolve on its own. At this time, it would be called latent infection. It's important to know when the rash resolved, because it determines how you treat it. If the rash resolved less than 12 months ago, you call it early latent infection. If it resolved more than 12 months ago, or if you're unsure, it's called late latent infection. Okay, so I think I'm understanding some of the differences now. Primary syphilis, you know, you can't always rely on labs to make the diagnosis. Uh, so sometimes you just have to treat based on your clinical suspicion. But with secondary and tertiary syphilis, sometimes it sounds like there are some labs that you can order to help you with the diagnosis. Reed, do you know what some of these labs are? I sure do, Lloyd. So secondary and tertiary syphilis, as you mentioned, actually relies on serologic testing. There are kind of two main types of tests. There's treponemal and then there's non-treponemal tests. The treponemal tests are ones we're a little less familiar familiar with, but I think we all know the RPR and VDRL, which are the non-treponemal tests. So there's two main strategies. If you're screening a population for syphilis, then you want to start with the screening strategy, which means you will start with a non-treponemal test or the RPR slash VDRL, one of those two. If you suspect a patient actually does have syphilis based on symptoms or rash, whatever, then you will start with a treponemal test. The treponemal tests are the uh, fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption test or the FTA-ABS, the treponema pallidum particle agglutination assay or the TPPA, or the treponema pallidum, pallidum enzyme immunoassay. TPEIA. There's also the CAA, which is in the same class. Note that with the last 
two I mentioned, the TPEIA and the CIA. If it's positive, you'll need to confirm with an alternative treponemal test using a different method. All right, so I just learned about, for diagnosing syphilis, there are serum non-treponemal tests and serum treponemal tests. But what about in this patient who had ocular syphilis and there was a concern for neurosyphilis? How do you make those diagnoses? So things do start to get a touch more complicated in this instance, Lloyd. So the first thing to do when you're looking for neurosyphilis is to get CSF. The second thing to do is test that CSF with the VDRL test. So VDRL, if it's positive, for the most part establishes the diagnosis of neurosyphilis. There is a couple of exceptions. One is in blood-tinged CSF, and the second is in patients who have a high serum titer of non-treponemal tests, i.e. the RPR and VDRL. If the CSF VDRL is negative, this does not exclude neurosyphilis. Once the, the VDRL is negative, you have to get the FTA-ABS. FTA-ABS is a sensitive but not specific test for neurosyphilis. If the patient has a negative FTA-ABS, then the diagnosis of neurosyphilis has been excluded, meaning the patient does not have neurosyphilis and you don't have to do any more testing. If the FTA-ABS is positive, you still don't know for sure if the patient has neurosyphilis. Just to clarify, this is when the VDRL is negative, the initial test, and the second test, the FTA-ABS is positive. In that situation, there's another factor to consider, which is, is the patient HIV positive or negative? In patients who are HIV negative with a positive FTA-ABS after a negative VDRL, you want to look at the CSF lymphocyte count and protein concentration. If the lymphocytes are greater than 5 or the protein is greater than 45, you can make the diagnosis of neurosyphilis and you need to treat. In a patient with HIV, just consult ID. Ocular and otologic syphilis may not be accompanied by CSF abnormalities. However, you still need to do a lumbar puncture because it can be treated as neurosyphilis. The reason you check the lumbar puncture or uh, check the CSF in patients with ocular and otologic syphilis is because if they do have abnormalities on the CSF, you can follow that to assess treatment. All right, how about if we talk about treatment now? Um, what treatment options are available for these patients? Well, to start with, before you treat, you should get a non-treponemal titer so you know your baseline. Then at six months, you should expect a four-fold decline in this titer in order to say that the patient had an acceptable response to treatment. If they have not had a four-fold decline, patient is not responding appropriately. For the treatment of syphilis, we use penicillin. Primary, secondary, and early latent syphilis are all treated with a once injection of IM penicillin. Late latent or syphilis of unknown duration is treated with a once injection of IM penicillin once a week for three weeks. In patients that have neurosyphilis, it's a continuous infusion or an IV infusion every four hours for a total of 14 days. In regards to sexual partners of patients with primary, secondary, or early latent syphilis, if they were exposed to the patient 
within the preceding 90 days. They are treated for syphilis regardless of what their serology results show. Two things to note is that many patients with syphilis will have a reversion of their antibody. If it was previously positive, over time, it, be- it can become negative. Additionally, they are also in a serofast state. While their titer will decrease by at least fourfold if treated appropriately, that titer will remain positive for the rest of their life. For patients with neurosyphilis, every six months after treatment, you should do a neurological exam and a lumbar puncture until the white blood cell count normalizes and the VDRL is non-reactive in the CSF. If the CSF white blood cell count does not decrease six months after therapy or the CSF VDRL does not become non-reactive one year after therapy, then the patient should be retreated for syphilis. All right, well, that was a lot of information on treatment and on syphilis. What ended up happening to this patient afterwards? Our patient was treated with a continuous infusion of penicillin for 14 days for ocular syphilis. While ocular and neurosyphilis are different, both ocular and otosyphilis are treated the same as neurosyphilis. As our patient's CSF labs were normal, as it should be in ocular syphilis, their non-treponemal titer was followed and decreased appropriately by fourfold. All right, everybody. So that wraps up our case of happy lie, blurry eye, a case of ocular syphilis. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was brought to you by Lloyd, Chiway, Sharky, Taraja, and Reed. We hope you enjoyed it and take home some clinical pearls.